It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. The phrase, Chevron deference. The case and a Supreme Court decision, West Virginia versus EPA, and critics have said it's the most dysfunctional branch in the government. A lot of discussion. What to do about the EPA? Bigger than the EPA is this Supreme Court decision, and it then brings us back to Congress, which has deferred, as many do in Washington, uh, in and out of Washington, to the Chevrons, to the agency. So is Congress too broken to enact significant legislation? Allison Soman, legal fellow in the Center for the Separation of Powers at Pacific Legal, joins me. Allison, great to have you here. Let's talk Chevron deference, EPA, and Congress. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So in June, the Supreme Court issued a big decision West Virginia versus EPA, which dealt with the Clean Power Plan. Basically, this was an aggressive measure enacted in response to climate change by the EPA. The Supreme Court looked very closely at the statutes that give the that give the EPA its powers. It found that EPA didn't have the power to enact that kind of plan because Congress hadn't spoken plainly to these to the issue at stake. This is a democracy. The government is a government of limited and enumerated powers, and executive agencies can't just make things up or read things into the laws that aren't really there when they want to because Congress hasn't done what the agency wants them to do. This should be, in my opinion, pretty uncontroversial, yet in some quarters it is. Uh, One of the arguments that's getting made is that Congress is too broken to legislate and step in and solve big problems like climate change. But when I I look at at that assertion, I find that that doesn't really seem to be true. Congress is plenty capable of acting when it wants to. The problem seems to be here that there's policy disagreement about what, if anything, should be done, not that there's something fundamentally broken about Congress as a body. And if the courts just throw up their hands and say, okay, the executive branch can do by fiat anything it wants to, it just makes the problem worse because Congress will say, okay, this big issue is somebody else's problem. We don't have to do research. We don't have to hold hearings. We can just go back to our districts and raise money or whatever it is they prefer to do. So that's what my piece is about. And thank you for giving me a chance to come on here and offer you a summary of it today. Well, let's keep going. Because we're we're going from summary to analysis, Allison. The the last part you said, uh, among many good points, of going home to raise money in your district. Uh, This issue around the EPA and with, uh, you know, especially related to climate change, is a case of an unsolvable argument, one that is better as an argument because there can always be a claim of we can't succeed, we don't win, we shouldn't do anything. There's so many ways to do this. Congress has abdicated its responsibility in many cases, and too many contradictions between the members alone supports that. So is Congress now not too broken, but more too unwilling to put it on the record? 
I think that's definitely part of what's going on here. Nobody likes to have to stick their neck out to take a controversial position or to act if, or, or, or to act in response to a difficult problem. Yet in, that is Congress's responsibility. We heard, we saw the videos in elementary school about how a bill becomes a law. It's fundamentally Congress's job to write legislation. The executive, the executive branch, which is headed by the president, when enforcing the law, can do a little bit here and there to fill in details, but it's fundamentally not their job to write the laws. And if there's something where there, if there's a topic where there needs to be law, Congress needs to step up and actually write those laws. It's not the job of the executive branch to step in and pass laws on behalf of Congress. So I don't want to give Congress an out. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I the dysfunctional branch. It's funny when I talked about the introduction in the introduction, uh, you know, the EPA is uh, talked about as the most dysfunctional branch. The most dysfunctional branch is the body that is supposed to represent the people. As you talked about earlier, we're a constitutional republic. We delegate those responsibilities to them. They're to exercise that on our behalf. And let's say you're a climate change proponent, right? You're, you're all in on climate change, man caused, all the things we're being told. Your representative touts, speaks, shouts the idea that we're in radical agreement, but then they do nothing. The dysfunctions in Congress. I, I, agree that, I agree that this is a big problem, and it's not going to be solved by the executive branch stepping in to write laws for it. That just gives Congress the incentive to continue to punt. Well, they're not very good punters because we see it. They're <laughs> failing to put it through the goalposts. Not that I want them to on this, but the, it, it's like the argument is more important than the solution. And maybe it's also because science uh, is in contravention to reality, peer-reviewed versus actual scientific method. But without going too far down that path, because I'm a talk show host and I'll do that, uh, what can be done here? And do you see a Path for Congress to actually begin to act, as well as the effect of this case on other agencies or this Supreme Court decision on other agencies with respect to Chevron deference. So I want to be clear, Chevron deference is closely related to what was going on in this case, but the Supreme Court didn't actually really reach the Chevron, the, the Chevron issue. That said, I think that this case is going to have profound effects on how the federal government regulates. Uh, this case tells agencies you can't just strain statutes to the breaking point to do things that you want to do. You actually have to respect the constraints on your legal authority or there are going to be lawsuits and your rules are going to be challenged under what this case calls the major questions doctrine. You're going to be challenged if the Supreme Court hasn't spoken plainly to the, or I'm sorry, if Congress hasn't spoken plainly to the issue um, about which you want to enact rules. So I think the agencies will have to be much more careful when they're looking when they're looking at these statutes. I think they're going to be careful to craft more limited rules because if they're not more careful to make sure that their rules are within their statutory authorities given by Congress, they're going to face more lawsuits just like this one. By the way, I didn't mention this earlier. I, I absolutely love the title of your latest piece. I got to make sure I put this out on social media, uh, Law and Liberty Infantilizing Congress. 
damn it, they're just a bunch of kids. Right? Then maybe that's an insult to kids. They're infants <laughs> spitting up on themselves and whatever over issues. Anyway, I, I, I digress. I, I really do love the title of that. <laughs> Everyone, I'm going to make sure that's out there. Uh, Allison's article, uh, Law and Liberty Infantilizing Congress. So let, let me shift to the executive for a moment uh you, you know executive orders uh, attempts to carry the the force of law uh sometimes supported by regulatory actions uh and again i take your point on chevron chevron deference while they did not speak to it directly it has some effect is there a possibility of seeing some change and maybe in light of what could be other challenges to agencies and other and from other states and and uh, whatever uh, individuals on this issue? Sure. So let me step back just a second, since I'm not sure all your listeners know what Chevron deference is. It, it's it's a, doc, a legal doctrine that says when an agency enacts a rule um, that interprets a statute and the statute isn't perfectly clear and then the then a court in hearing a lawsuit about that rule will defer to the agency's interpretation. So this sounds like it's a little bit drying in the weeds, but the problem here, what tends to happen is that agencies tend to interpret statutes where there's even the least little bit of ambiguity ambiguity to make the agency's powers bigger. And so this doctrine over time has really helped to nurture big government and the courts have essentially enabled the executive branch growing beyond the bounds of its limited and enumerated powers under the Constitution and under various federal statutes. I think at least some of the current Supreme Court is awake to the problem. Uh, Justice Gorsuch in particular has put out signals that he's interested in revisiting this doctrine because he's seen the ways that the court has, that, that the executive branch has expanded beyond the constraints of its statutory powers. There was one case earlier this term involving a rule for hospital reimbursement that some people thought might be a good vehicle for overruling or limiting Chevron, that didn't happen, I think, because the court just found that this underlying statute was clear, so they didn't need to reach the, reach the Chevron deference issue. That said, I think that there is real interest in this court on, on, on limiting Chevron, on limiting doctrines that enable the government to grow big by encouraging deference to the, exec, to the executive branch. So we'll have to see where that winds up uh, this coming Supreme Court term and beyond. Is there a path, Allison, to the state level, and we have about a minute and change that, but a path to the state level from this decision? You have state EPAs with different relationships uh, to the federal EPA. Sure. So a lot of the states have judicial deference doctrines that are similar to the federal to the federal Chevron doctrine. Uh, one thing that we're doing at Pacific Legal Foundation, the public interest law firm where I work, is we're also bringing challenges at the state level to these overly broad judicial deference doctrines. We're bringing lawsuits or filing amicus briefs in other groups or, or, or private for private firms' lawsuits. We also have made efforts to introduce legislation at the state level where the winds might be a little bit 
somewhat more favorable than at the federal level to legislatively hem in judicial deference. And we've had a couple big successes there of which we're very proud. So absolutely, I think there's room to improve things in the states, um, even when the climate may be less, maybe may where the climate may be a little bit more favorable than this the federal level. And I think that other groups and individuals who are interested in this should definitely get involved in the states as well. All right. The battle is on, as they say. Allison Soman, legal fellow in the Center for the Separation of Powers at the Pacific Legal Foundation, pacificlegal.org. As always, uh, you can uh, get all the information. Their great article, Infantilizing Congress. I'm going to run with that one for a while. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoy being here. Thank you, Allison. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.